Everybody, it's the Ron and Don Show. Ronanddon.com. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode 327 now of the Ron and Don Show, only on the Ron and Don Radio Network, and we are live. Go West Schwab Studio. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, there's a particular woman who's making the rounds right now who wrote a book about Donald Trump, and she actually was his press secretary for both the president and the former first lady. Uh, anyway, I used to date her. In Arizona, and I might do a tell-all right here. So, uh, <laughs> also, uh, we got to talk about the fact that uh, we'll finally get to this: that Paul McCartney, he really wants to set the record straight when it comes to why the Beatles broke up. He's really thinking about legacy as he approaches eighty years young, and still can pack out stadiums all over the world. Before we get to that, though, let's get this Tesla. Moving to Texas, also expanding in places like Germany. And Elon Musk has now become, at $223 billion, uh, the richest man in the world. If Jeff Bezos didn't go through his divorce, because uh, he's in second now, I think he would probably be the richest man in the world. Nonetheless, two guys that uh, are exploring space, making lots of money, and Elon Musk, looks like he read a tweet the other day, got pissed off and said, you know, if uh, people are going to call me names and not be kind to me in California, then I'm leaving California. And he said, people are saying, not he said, they're saying that he read something, a tweet that went out uh, that made fun of him and Tesla and not doing their part in California. And he said, you know what, then we're moving the whole enterprise to Texas because that's what billionaires can do. Ron. I think about Seattle a little bit in the way with the head tax that we go after and we treat Amazon. Uh, it is real easy for politicians here to beat up Amazon, which is really weird to me. Because if Amazon was somewhere else, I think they would be treated differently and we would speak about them differently. Kind of a negative vibe when it comes to Amazon. Do you fear that Jeff Bezos may do what Elon Musk did and said, you know what? I got a lot of money. I'm pulling out of Seattle and I'm going to Kentucky. Well, it's the way you characterize it is kind of true and kind of not true. Like, so Elon Musk, Tesla has a factory in Fullerton, California, where they uh, produce batteries and I believe they produce some cars. So they're looking to expand because they uh, obviously the cyber trucks coming out and some other things. And so one of the politicians in California wrote out a tweet that said, F you, Elon Musk. And so he retweeted that and then right off the, and responded to it uh, and said, like, message received. And then short on the heels of that, uh, announced that they're, they're doing some new things in Austin. They're not closing down the factory in California, but he's just expanding. He could have expanded in California, but he's expanding in Texas. And so he's a smart guy, and he also loves to troll people on Twitter, Elon Musk. And so he's using that to stoke the fire a little bit. But I think the intention all along was to move to Texas. 
for this particular phase of their development. But it does bring up the point where you said of like, what do we value as a business community? What What is it like? I think people, the thing that I always tell people is like, yes, things are expensive here. Yes, sometimes your favorite pub or your little neighborhood quaint bookstore got torn down and new condos went in that you don't particularly like the architecture of. Those things all happen. Yes, we see a lot of tents. Uh, yes, there's uh, problems with Seattle. But take a minute and go to a city in the Rust Belt. Like go to where my mother grew up in rural Ohio uh, and see what the community is like there. Go to parts of Michigan where there used to be uh, the Lifesaver factory and there used to be a car uh, door manufacturer and there used to be all these uh, you know, blue-collar jobs that paid really well and had pensions. And go, go through those communities now and tell those folks, we're fed up with big business because they're bringing in too much money. There's too many people making six-figure incomes. They're making the houses go more expensive. We're even like, hey, go to Detroit. Let me sell you a house for, for $10. And I'm not joking. There are neighborhoods in and around Detroit where you can buy a house for $10 or $100. Uh, but it's no no one's buying them. It's like they don't want to live in that neighborhood. There is no economy there. There is no industry there. There is uh, there's some scrappy stuff that's going on that's that's uh, you know, inspiring in a lot of ways. But before we I think chop off everybody at the knees here, it's not a bad problem to have Fortune 500 companies want to be in your town. So the fact that we have Microsoft and Boeing and we have Expedia and Amazon and Starbucks and Costco and F5 and all of these companies uh, in the same town, Facebook is here, Google is here, Apple has opened a building here. Like, I, I don't get the logic that says we don't want you anymore. We want to go back to the days when we were worried that Seattle was going to implode and the economy would implode. And we put up a billboard that says the last people out, turn off the lights where we were, everyone was beholden to one company Boeing. It's better to have the problems of riches than to have the problems of poverty. In my opinion. Yeah. Anyway, I think, I think we have to pay attention to that. I think, I was talking to Todd, who's one of our clients the other day, and he works for a big construction company downtown in Pioneer Square. Uh, they are meeting this week just to try to figure out what are we going to do because businesses are fleeing Pioneer Square. Uh, the coffee shop, and I shared this story before, there's a coffee shop on Queen Anne that Ron and I, when we first started in radio in, in the mid-90s, and we would get a shot at filling in on KJR. So we would uh, get up early in the morning. We'd stop at this coffee shop and then we would go and and do the morning show. That coffee shop just closed its doors. And the reason they closed their doors is they were too, and this is on lower Queen Anne. They were too afraid for their clients. They're too afraid for their clients. They were too afraid for their employees because just the people on the streets, the lack of cops, the fact that somebody could come in and rob that coffee shop and a police officer is not allowed to chase that person. You're not allowed to chase them in a car. You're not allowed to chase them on foot unless you know 110% uh, that that person just robbed that coffee shop. So that coffee shop said, you know what? And they're they're open in some other places, uh, 
but they're, they're they're closing down. I talked to a friend of mine who who has been a Seattle detective uh, for over twenty years now. They were forced back in their uniform in Seattle yesterday because of Seattle police officers that have walked off the job or Seattle police officers that are just burning their time. I just showed you a guy that is on the command staff, and I showed you a picture of what he's doing, and he's not being a cop. He just he has two more years to his retirement. He's just burning his time. I, know, I have another friend that's a cop who's building a home in Montana right now. He's still a Seattle cop and getting paid for the next two years. And when we look at the payroll uh, or roll call, it's like, oh, okay, we, we still have cops. There's so many cops that aren't cops. They're not showing up for work. They're just, they're burning their time. They're getting paid. And, and then they're walking away. So this particular officer, this particular, they said, they're going to hand me a taser. I, I've never used a taser. I'm supposed to put someone in handcuffs. I haven't put someone in handcuffs because uh, they deal with mostly dead people uh, in their particular unit. They deal with a lot of people that have been murdered in the investigation. They're like, I, we don't put dead people in handcuffs. I don't even know how to do that anymore. So, so they're being they're throwing these uniforms back on. We'll see if they fit. And they're being pressed back into service because of the lack of police officers in this city. What's well, the way that the police officers have been treated? They've been treated in the same fashion that we treat great business that has come here or even small businesses, whether it's Amazon or this coffee shop. Uh, and I'm talking about Cafe Ladro. Uh, it, 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 we do not take care of the businesses and the people and the blue collar workers that take care of us. See you on the other side. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's uh, Ron and Don here for Les Schwab. Yeah, we are live from the Les Schwab studios. They've sponsored the show now for over a decade, and we are so appreciative of them. Now, don't forget, they have 85 locations in western Washington to serve you. And a lot of times, even if you bought tires from the other guy, let's say they have a flat and you pull in, they go ahead and they fix it, and they send you on your way because they want you and your family as we head into the fall months. They want you guys to be happy, safe, and at some point, they hope you'll be lifetime customers. And don't forget it, Les Schwab. It's just not about tires and wheels. They do so much more, right, Ron? Yeah, they do steering, suspension, batteries, and brakes to add to the safety of your outings. Plus, maintaining those parts can help your tires last longer and your vehicle run better, improving your miles per gallon. Les Schwab is here for you. Just stop by and ask for your free pre-trip safety check, or you can schedule one online right now at lesschwab.com slash Don. That's Les Schwab. They've been doing the right thing since 1952. I would definitely recommend working with Ron and Don. Completely satisfied. 100% guaranteed. (laughs) (laughs) If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. Hi, my name is uh, Anthony Kroll. Hi, I'm Gretchen. And I'm Byron. Hi, I'm Ollie. Hi, I'm Emmy. We are Team Greenland. And we sat down, down with Ron, Ron and Don. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, we talked about pricing. We talked about staging. We talked about location, about what the market was like. He gave us so much information. We would have a game plan and there'd be a team helping us and we went for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks to Ron and Don, we got the house of our dreams under asking price, which just does not happen in this market. And we could not be happier. And we wouldn't have been able to be where we're at in terms of buying and renovating a house without his expertise and support. Uh, We got an offer, I think, day one, 
that was 25 to 50,000 over asking. I'm like telling my wife, don't you think we should take this? And she's like, no, we're sticking to this. We're going to wait till that offer review date, like Ron and Don said, waited till offer review date. And we had like seven or eight more offers and an offer 100,000 over asking. With Ron and Don, you get two great minds that perfectly complement each other. You get the data and analytics, you get the creativity, the drive, and the energy. They are, they are the complete package. If someone asked me, in fact, someone did ask me uh, recently how we sold our house so fast. And I said, well, we had a great realtor team. And that makes all the difference. Don't forget, when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at runanddonsitdown.com. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show. To the Ron and Don Show. And yes, my dad's pretty annoying. All right, cool. All right, you guys, uh, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. It's kind of interesting. My my son plays the trumpet now at 11. And uh, I play a little guitar. And we are starting to work on our second annual Christmas card for everyone in the Ron and Don Nation. And then we send out a personal a Christmas card to all our clients. Can I make a request? Because it just dawned on me when you said that. Yeah, because you're you're. I'm, I've been pulling out the amps, guitars. We got the jingle Think bells. Think about this. Ring of fire. Your son does the. Oh, like oh, yeah. We got to We got a. Me and you. On, I'll bring the bongo. You're on guitar. You're the man in black. He's the uh, the trumpet, and we just redo the lyrics. Maybe bring Teresa in to play the bells. Well, she can be June Carter Cash. There you go. Anyway, we're going to have to change the music and somehow make it a holiday greeting. I like that a lot. That's yeah. great. Uh, so we're going to get the band back together. Speaking of getting the band back together, I asked him, I said, who are, who are some of your great influences at 11 now that you're playing uh, a trumpet in a in a Chuck I, Mangione because he's actually getting to play. It's cool because he's actually getting to play in a band now at school where before during COVID it was just a bunch of kids with their trumpets and instruments and one teacher and just it was it was you open up the Zoom. It was hell going. for the teacher, but it was heaven <laughs> for me because it was just chaotic and I I love chaos. I I I like to encourage chaos. Uh, Especially kids in chaos. It's one of my favorite things. So all that to say, he said, you know, Daddy, one of my great influences are the Beatles, which I didn't, him. I didn't know. So all this week, uh, we've been listening to the Beatles. We've been learning about the Beatles. And then we've been reading about Paul McCartney. And the fact is he heads toward 80 years young, can f- still fill up stadiums all over the world. Uh, he wants people to know, number one, that it wasn't him that broke up the Beatles. And also, when you kind of saw the final film of the Beatles, it was very distressed. And it looked like they all hated each other and they didn't get along. And and his point is, there was still a lot of love there. There was still a lot of friendship there. There was still a lot of stuff that the cameras didn't connect and so they're now remaking that film. He's an executive producer on that film because he wants people to know that even as the Beatles broke up or even when John passed away, that there was still a connection and that they were unified. Uh, and in a sense, he wants to change the narrative before he passes about the Beatles breaking up and also about the way they felt about each other, and also about the way he felt in 1980 
when John Lennon was murdered and also when George Harrison passed away. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of this stuff. Uh, he also is very kind to Yoko Ono. I yeah, think very now. kind. And, and so, I think that, you know, she became a scapegoat in a lot of ways for the demise of the Beatles. You got to remember the, the bulk of their what happened was like five years seven or years. seven years. Like, seven years. Yeah. A very short amount of time to go from, you know, playing clubs to being, you know, compared to Jesus Christ. Like it was a very and these were very young guys from humble beginnings. Like they, they were prepared for. Yeah. This. And the point that he makes and he and John were on the same page. They said, to be honest, we got sick and tired of going to stadiums, having girls scream, and not listen to the music. He said, and, and even when they go on at Ed Sullivan, and people are screaming the whole time and not listening to the music, and they were really proud of the way that they went from just three-chord rock and roll, and then the way that they started, because they he, he talks about the final show that they played, but even in all the music that they still created after that final show. And they're very proud of the fact that they grew as musicians. They grew as songwriters. He talks about some of the, some of the music that he wrote when he was 14 or 15. And then I didn't know that John Lennon was a year older than him. And then as they worked together, as they created music, uh, it really became a beautiful thing between them. And, and also as artists, one of the reasons why they would play with a lot of black artists sometimes is just jam with them is because they wanted to learn real American blues. And a lot of the American blues that they learned and they were influenced by was just in jam sessions that they would have on a bus after a show in a hotel room somewhere at somebody's house. And, and he just wants to let people know that, that they were, they, they loved each other. They were proud of the music and they were proud of the music that they created together uh, and he talks about George Harrison being one hell of a songwriter and the fact that they didn't tap into that enough. And you hear George Harrison's really first solo album, and that might have been the best solo album that was ever placed out there. So if your son's a big Beatles fan now, and for you as well, if people haven't seen, I think it's on the Hulu. Uh, it's Paul McCartney and Rick Rubin, the famous music producer, and it's shot in black and white. They're in this big hall with a mixing console in the middle of it, and they Rick cues up songs. So Paul doesn't know which song it's going to be, and he has the master tapes. So there's a bunch of stuff that never made the recording on these faders, and so Rick sort of uh, mixes it or brings it up the way he likes it, and then Paul walks over, and he starts going, listen to this part, and he'll fade everything out and like pull up a baseline mm. or he'll say in this i was playing this thing oh, or I see that. That's and, cool. and so and even like there's tracks where paul played the drums yeah. he's like this is me on drums mm. and uh but then here's ringo on drums mm. and so and they just talk they're just talking about the songs and a lot of these stories come up and a lot of these sentiments come up because uh rick will just ask him he's like was that a john lyric He's like, no, I wrote that lyric, but John did this part. Or it brings Paul back to the day and back to the session because he's hearing stuff that is not on the records. You know, there'll be a part that they they cut out. He's like, oh, I remember when we were messing around with that. And he's like, that led me to think of this. And so we ended up cutting that thing and putting this thing in there. But it it for a guy that's that into music these sounds trigger memories that wouldn't have come out in any other way. So it's on Hulu. I don't know the exact name of the, of the special, but it's a six part series with Rick Rubin, Paul McCartney. It's in black and white. Uh, and it's phenomenal. And yeah. it'll probably inspire some trumpet parts. Yeah. Your son. 
Yeah. Uh, anyway, great, great stuff. And I, I love the fact, because so often now you have artists that aren't connected to the song. They didn't write the song. They just performed this. George Strait never wrote a song. And yet he's regarded as the greatest country artist ever. Never wrote a song. I, and I disagree with that. I love the Dixie Chicks because they wrote their stuff. They played their instruments. Uh, and when now, you look, now referred to as the Chicks. The Chicks, yeah. And when, and when you think of the Beatles, they wrote that stuff. They played that stuff. Uh, and and when you hear the song, when you hear the song Let It Be, and we've all heard uh, the story now of Mother Mary comforting me that's paul's mom coming to him in a dream and he woke up and he wrote that song in about seven minutes uh and his mom died when he was very very young but she would come to him in dreams and you'll never listen to that song uh the same ever again uh and the same with sergeant peppers when you when you read where all that music came from and how proud they are of it because that that music on sergeant peppers is incredibly different than some of the early three-chord rock and roll uh that for instance elvis he went to his grave just playing three chord rock and roll suspicious minds yeah i thought what was interesting though is paul actually goes after the rolling stones a little bit and kind of just says hey you know what uh the rolling stones were just a great kind of blues cover band this is true (laughs) anyway i hope you can hear we were at a meeting yesterday uh with someone in real estate, and I said, "No matter where we go, leaf blowers follow us." Because we were sitting in a Starbucks, we and a leaf blower came right up to the window. Yeah, can you hear this right now? I can. There's a leaf blower following us, and the person that we met with yesterday, they were in a different coffee shop this morning, and they sent me a picture of them sitting in the coffee shop in a video with the leaf blower glowing. So, uh, so, so far this week on leaf blowers, we are three for three. If, if you guys can hear that, uh, we'll see you on the other side. Hey, you guys, we got a brand new sponsor. Mitch Weeks is here from Home Seed Loans. If you want to find out more about Home Seed Loans, do what Ron did. He went to, he went to Mitch.loans. That's Mitch.loans, right? I did. And Mitch, your process, um, all ha- most of it happened online. You've made it pretty easy to submit all the documents I needed to get approved. That's correct. Yeah, we've made it really easy. Um, there's an online portal, and then we also have a whole team ready to answer any questions you have. The thing that I really love, though, is you've come up with a special program for people just in the Ron and Don Nation, whether we're buying or doing a refi. That's correct. Yeah, any Ron and Don Nation member is now part of our buyer benefit program just automatically. So our partnership means that listeners will save a half a percent on the closing of any loan. Up to the sky is the limit, but that's an average of $3,000 on loans in King County. So that's huge. That is huge. So up to half a percent on a new buy or a refi. Go to Mitch.loans today. It's not a .com or a .net. It's Mitch.loans. It's a brand new sponsor here on the Ron and Don Show. The Weeks team, NMLS 1691573. Hi, everyone. My name is Therese, and I am a new team member with Ron and Don. When you are ready to buy a new home, I am a buyer specialist. Just reach out and we will send a buyer's playbook that the guys wrote just for you. Go to ronanddonsitdown.com. All right, you guys, welcome back to episode 327. Don't forget, we are licensed brokers at Windermere. Uh, and if you need help, just uh, reach out. Yeah, you can email me directly, ron at windermere.com. We have a buyer's playbook, a seller's playbook, if you are in either of those camps. Then we do a 45-minute Zoom call and get you going, get a plan together for you, a strategy uh, to accomplish your goals. It starts with an email, or you can go to ronandonsitdown.com. Yeah, and also, 
Uh, don't forget, if you're thinking about selling in the spring, now is the time to get ready to sell in the spring because the spring is going to be here 2022 before you know it, right? Typically, it takes three to four months for someone to get get everything ready to roll. Yeah. So anyway, you guys, ronda.sitdown.com, write Ronda like, directly, ronda.windermere.com, and we'll get those buyer's playbooks, those seller's playbooks. And it's not something that Windermere created and we're sending to you. These are these are books that we actually created and wrote. Um, and our pictures are outstanding. Uh, a lot of Photoshop, but we look great. So run it on uh, sitdown.com. Stephanie Grisham. Uh, it's a gal I dated back when I lived in Arizona in 2000. And she actually worked for the governor. And I met her at an event, and she's a single mom. I wasn't a single dad at the time. I become a single dad, though, later on. Uh, and anyway, she was very pretty, very lovely, and we hit it off. We had a connection. And so I dated her uh, for uh, quite some time, kind of on and off. And then we ended up leaving Phoenix, and, and we headed to Dallas. Stephanie Grisham, that name may be familiar to you because she was actually Melania Trump's uh, press secretary. And she was perfect because Melania Trump never really wanted to have a spokesperson. She just wanted to have kind of a fashion person. And Stephanie was very fashionable. And so uh, she never really spoke, not much, on Melania Melania Trump's uh, behalf. And Melania Trump never really had uh, many press briefings. I don't know if she ever had one. Uh, They also say we're learning now, and I learned this through Stephanie, that when, when Melania Trump stayed in New York initially, she stayed there because she had leverage. And she wanted to rewrite the, the prenup that she had with Donald Trump. And she actually lives on a, on a different floor in a different place in a different space in New York than Donald Trump lived. And similar at the White House. Those guys didn't sleep in the same bed. They slept in uh, separate quarters, which isn't unusual. Like uh, Clinton's did something very similar, right? You kind of have that professional marriage later on in life. Maybe you've lost the love. Maybe you're no longer having intercourse. But uh, at the same time, to to stay married, uh, there's a benefit to that. And the benefit to her was getting that prenup rewritten. And I think the benefit uh, for Donald Trump was making sure that he wasn't going through a divorce when, to his surprise, and his complete surprise, that he was named the uh, president of the United States. He felt like the White House was a dump, and so did she. So that's why they didn't want to go there. When she finally got to the White House, she never really left. She was always just kind of in her bubble there. So with all that said, Stephanie, like so many dozens and dozens now of former Trump people have now written tell-all books. And they say a lot of times when you write a tell-all book, when you leave the White House, you'll be kind of kind and nice, because you're still hoping to work for that person or work somewhere kind of in their sphere. And for a lot of the aides that work for Melania and Stephanie went on for a year to actually be the president's uh, press secretary after Sean Spicer. Uh, And for that year, it's when the president decided there would be no more briefings. And so she never gave a press briefing, but she was his spokesperson. And then she went back and she worked for the uh, former first lady again. She's written this tell-all book. She's moved to Kansas. She said that everybody's going to hate her. She called me and we connected a number of years ago while she was working for the president. And she just said, hey, it, it, it is... It is crazy. This, this, what, what, what's happening here? She didn't think the president was crazy, but she thought the reaction to his presidency was crazy. She started out as, as a person initially, and the reason he fell in love with her is she set up all these events 
uh, for him where he would go and he would speak in these large arenas. Uh, she would go ahead of time and she would take crews ahead of time. And she was very organized and very good at that. And they loved her on the campaign trail for that. Nonetheless, when the 6th happened of January, she decided to walk away from that. Uh, if she would have stayed with the president, she would actually still be working for him and doing all these events. She decided at that point she couldn't take it anymore. Uh, she felt, I think, that what happened on the 6th was disgusting and his fault and that he had called people uh, to basically rebel against uh, the government of the United States and its citizens and the rest of us and the, and, and, and the, and the voting that had happened. So, so then she stepped back. She's written a book now, and it's a tell-all book, and she says she, feel, she, she feels so ashamed. She thinks people are going to hate her for the rest of her life, and yet she still wrote this book. I think what's interesting is I could get myself on a lot of shows right now talking about her like i could call fox news and the stories that i know about her if i was going to write a tell-all book or i was going to i i could do that right now but i really feel like because of the things that happen between her and i or things she shared or things i know i feel like those things are between us and even though i don't like the former president i don't like people becoming profiteers in the way that stephanie did here because now here she is and she's profiting off those stories and you work for the former first lady and the former president. Uh, I think there is a social contract that says, hey, what, what happens here is going to stay here. And instead now we see dozens of people like her. In fact, I think there's three people by the name of Stephanie alone that have written, quote unquote, these tell-all books about the president. It's people that are trying to cash in on his fame. And I don't like it. And I'm a little ashamed of her uh, for doing that. Nonetheless, what are your thoughts? So I was going to... So in your mind, um, and I'm just trying to clarify here, like if a Bob Woodward gets these conversations and he's on the outside looking in, but he's had multiple conversations with the president and kind of wrote a trilogy about the former president, like you're on board with that. They were, they were on the record. They, right. were, they, they were on the record. It's that type of book. But if you're, so let's say you're um, an insider and you were a true believer, and then you got betrayed in some way, and you had a change of heart, and you want to now reveal, like, let's say Mary Trump, the the relative. She's like, I think this person's dangerous. She was never an insider, though. That's different. I, I, She's I, a family I, member. I don't. It, it's not the same, though. Okay. Stephanie was paid $183,000 to be the press secretary for Trump and for Melania, and I and, and I think I think that that means something. Mary Mary was never paid. Okay. So I'm just trying to track your logic. Like, I, I think there's a value in sometimes having a book where if someone was naive in some way, they said, I'm... I'm you know, we, we've known people that have been very into politics and wanted to work in the game and then go back to D.C. and like, whoa, that's not what I thought it was going to be. And so you get disillusioned or you, when you come up against the reality of what you think it's going to be, then you want to maybe say, hey, uh, here's my journey from a naive political junkie. Uh, once I got on the inside, I saw things that I wasn't expecting and I want to now shine a light on that. I think there's a place for that. I haven't read Stephanie's she book. She said that she hates herself for doing this. She hates herself for being a part of the campaign. And then she had to get up when she was being interviewed to go promote the book somewhere else. So what she loves is she loves the money that she's making from the book and the profits. Uh, and I don't... I. Yeah, a book that's a straight money grab. I'm not on board with. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't like. I could get booked on shows telling stories about her and get paid for that. 
the stuff that happened between her and I was was between her and I, and it's gonna it's gonna stay between her and I. That's so. fair. That's fair. I think the money grab books are obviously distasteful. I think there is a place. There can be a place where someone has special knowledge, like Comey. Comey writing a book. I think that has value. He was never in the president's sphere. He's never paid by the president. So that that that's that. Yeah, and, and I, I do. I I, I I see the value. I'm of that. seeing you the lines. But someone that you're invites drawing. you into their into their intimate circle, and then and then you write a tell-all book. I just I just think it's. I, I I can respect that. I can I can totally. Respect. So you're, you're not, saying that I shouldn't submit my manuscript well, for everything I know about uh, Don O'Neill. There you go. There you go. <laughs> hey, you guys! Thanks for stopping by episode three twenty. Seven. Seven. Yeah, of the Ron and Don Show. We appreciate you. And don't forget, everything is at ronanddonsitdown.com. Thanks for hitting like. Don't forget, the show comes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. When you need us, just reach out. Whether it's broadcasters, friends, or realtors, ronanddonsitdown.com. Head up, shoulders back. See you next time for episode 328. We're going to talk about Superman being bisexual. I know that. My son told me. Boys have been telling me a lot lately. We'll see you for 328. Olay! On the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back. And keep blowing that trumpet. And we'll see you next time. Only! 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 On the Ron and Don Radio Network.